Welcome, everybody. This is Big Adventures with Brian Durker, and today, finally, we have Tim Cooper, old friend. We've been through a lot through the years, and uh, Tim, it's great to have you here, finally. Thank you for showing up. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> Tim just rolled in from Cortez, Colorado. Yeah. You know what I always do on these, and I'm sure you've listened to most of them, Oh, absolutely. <laughs> of course. I was just waiting for his response. But uh, <laughs> we'd like to find out about the early Cooper, you know? We'd like to find out, like, shortly after birth. A lot of that has evaporated. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, years, the little fregments that you can remember. <laughs> but um, the uh, where were you born, anyway? San Diego, California, or and, and lived in nearby Chula Vista, you know, overlooking Tijuana down that away, but uh, left there for Fresno at a tender age. I'm not sure exactly when, like third third grade time. Well, oh, those, are, those are informative years, third grade. Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> Living in the raising capital of the world during that time. Um, okay, and then third grade, you're in Fresno. We're in Fresno. Um, yeah, my dad was the uh, city manager. Well, no, he was assistant city manager in Fresno, and then he... Uh, Got a job in Tempe, moved to Tempe between third and fourth grade and went clear through high school there and graduated Tempe High. I'm a Buffalo and uh, went to school in Prescott. PC. Yeah, it was a small but influential Well, why don't you detail out, like, uh, what drove you to go to the hippie college? Well, um, I had my mom to thank for that. She was just out on a little uh, weekend vacation with my stepdad, and they stumbled on this place, and they thought that it might be a nice place to go to sort of cut the apron strings for a year, after which time I'd come back and become a civil engineer like a good, proper human being was supposed to do. But uh, So often the best plans go awry. Yeah. So tiny little school. They said they were taking only one in seven applicants. So when they, they accepted me, I thought, well, sheesh, I have to go there. They think I'm special. Big competition. Yeah, yeah. 750 people, I think, in the student body of the year that I attended. Yeah, and for the listener, I mean, it's a neat little college. It has a tremendous history, really. Yeah. But it's oriented towards outdoor leadership. Experiential education. You could kind of write your own. Didn't really have a uh, strength, let's say, but they, <laughs> <laughs> they promoting learning how to learn rather than one specific uh, discipline. Let's learning say. how to learn, that was mm-hmm. it. Or the, what was it? Education isn't a, it's a destination, it's, it's a, a journey. journey. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was their wrap on that. That <laughs> was big there. <laughs> but they did have a great outdoor program, and that's where I really went off the rails there. Well, and that's probably where you got introduced to, like, kayaking and all that other stuff, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Prescott Orientation was a 26-day outdoor course. You did a bunch of different stuff to introduce you to the outdoors. We are the freshman orientation was uh, paddling in some kind of a, a boat, a kayak or a canoe or some such a thing across Lake Powell from Wawi to to Trail Canyon, and then spending uh, two weeks in the backcountry around Navajo Mountain and uh, backpacking trips. So and some people came from the top. And, and we switched with them for their Switch backpacks. Switched venues with and them. They paddled back to Wawweep. And anyway, it was a it was a life changing experience. They put yeah. It sounds on, pretty epic, they really. Put you on solo for three days with no food, you know, and three matches. I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More times than I probably would like to. Right. Yeah. But, uh, this was on purpose. Though. <laughs> <laughs> but that had to have been a high impact sort of. Deal. Oh, it changed my life. Yeah. I was, now, I did was you graduate from now. Prescott College? I did. Did you mar- march in the final ceremony? Well, you know, I was running an outdoor course when course when graduation happened, which was what uh, it was the. Culmination of my portfolio, which you had to put together, and uh, so I had to run this course. It was for uh, Palos Verdes Estates High School, and they were starting, in California. Um, no, it was in Zion Park, but those were where the kids were from. 
So I had to assemble this course and take them into the backcountry for two weeks, and that was my basically my senior project. But I was doing that while graduation happened. So Willie Unsold did the graduation ceremony. I'm sure it was a good one. Willie but Unsold, the first American on Everest. On Everest, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Big hero at the school. Well, he's still a big hero. Well, yeah. He got taken out by a avalanche. Avalanche. Rainier. Some of yeah. those guys do that. You stick with it long enough, you know. But uh, so... You graduate from there and then... Right out of school, you know, um, moved to... Uh, well, I had a friend, Brad Demick, who may come up again. Um, yes. Who had gotten a job the year before with Canyoneers boating on the Colorado. And I thought, well, that sure sounds like fun. So I applied for a job, too. Actually, I applied to every single outfitter in the Grand Canyon at the time, kind of a form letter. I think there were like 26 of them or something, and I sent a resume to all of them, and I heard back from a couple, three actually. Martin Litton said, uh, you know, we never hire anyone because no one ever quits, but I'll put your name in the file. And Cross Tours said, you can come and be a trainee for 20 bucks a day and canyoners said you can come and be a trainee for 25 so they were the high bidder <laughs> and but i also at the same time i got picked up for a position i'd applied for in idaho on the middle fork of the salmon as a river ranger and uh, lo and behold having fought fires during this summers when i was in school uh they were looking for someone that had some experience in doing that. So out of all of the people that wanted that uh, kayak ranger job on the Middle Fork, they picked me. And yeah, that's the, you probably had some competition on that. Yeah. And anyway, so I went up there uh, for just, I think it was a 90-day uh, appointment and ran Grand Canyon trips on uh, shoulder seasons just that one year. And then after that, decided that, uh, I wasn't really cut out for law enforcement, which was <laughs> supposed to be. Yeah, I'm trying to wrap my head around <laughs> Cooper the cop. I loved paddling down the river, but uh, I just wasn't good at handing out tickets or reprimands. And the one time that I tried to do that, it caused a big kerfuffle there at the Forest Service. The guy told me where to get off and, and left me standing there with my ticket book and and uh, and you realize you were powerless. I was powerless. Well, could, well, you could have <laughs> shot the guy. <laughs> Those that would be the new ranger. I didn't even have you know. I didn't have a sharp stick. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know when people uh, realize that you're all alone when you're a law enforcement officer in a ticket book. Uh huh. Yeah, it's not a good scenario necessarily, necessarily. if they're bad guys, right? Or meanies. You or just pissed, or just pissed, or, and you've got no business telling them how to, you know, how they should behave. Especially up there in Idaho, right? Men are free. They, you know, he inherited the company from his grandfather, or inherited from his grandfather. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> what are you telling me? I can't just build a fire wherever I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound like it was gonna go well. Well, no, uh, but sure so no. you decided to. The I'd stick with the bite Grand that Canyon. hook on the Grand Canyon, yeah, you know, like a ahead. big old you, flounder. You know how it happens, you know. Oh yeah, so. it's a, it seems to be a, on this show quite a repetitious scenario. It is. It's commonplace. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> maybe the further you get from it, it, it sort of thins out. I, I won't even go into my sorrowful story. I Let's know. stick with yours. <laughs> How long have we got? So, Gaylord hired you, and Brad was still working over there. Yeah, yeah. And so it was the dangerous duo and Canyoneers. Canyoneers, yeah. You could you could do it. Challenging boat. It was. It was a great boat to learn on, you know. It's yeah, like if you can drive weights. that, you can drive anything. <laughs> they are improving the boats over there. With That's what I heard. No, yeah. They've mm -hmm. kind of gone to that Azra, J-Rig-looking thing. Uh-huh. Right. Some of them. Not, they're not completely right, switched sure over, but it's neat to see Cameron back over there. That's yeah, it is. That's where it belongs. Yeah, uh, for the listener too, it, there is really an interesting history with all these river companies, and uh, 
Most of them didn't like each other, outfitters. <laughs> Strong personalities. Yeah, they were all mean to Georgie, <laughs> pretty much. I right. love Georgie. Right. So I, I never really liked the outfitters that much. Well, and you know, they never <laughs> admitted that, that that a lot of their first trips was with Georgie. You know, yeah. Martin Litton or, down here with Or her basically first, she but... started the way they are doing things still. Right. She <laughs> went ahead and invented it. But, uh, you know, back to that uh, point of uh, outfits, that's what I like. And Canyoneers was out of Flagstaff. We used to do triple-rigged trips. Uh, Neff and I subcontracted through Canyoneers to McCallum's outfit. We did the triple-rigged trips with their clientele. So that's kind of a funny little connection there. Wow, that is... But so anyway, you how long did you work with... Canyoneers. Just a couple, couple of years. years. Yeah, yeah. And then you decided to go $5 less a day <laughs> and off to Hurricane Utah you went, right? I did. Well, you know, they, they did a reapportionment of user days, and uh, they brought the very small outfitters up to what they call minimum economic threshold, which for Martin Linton meant that his company was suddenly twice as big as it was the day before. So he suddenly needed a new crew, another crew. <laughs> and once again, <laughs> right place, right time. In the wings was I, and truthfully growing a little tired of the seven-day schedule from these, well, from Flagstaff to Flagstaff in seven days. You were really kind of hustling, and uh, Martin Litton's trips, the shortest one was 18 days, the longest one was 22. And you'd see those silly boats down there and just kind of go, well... You know, there's another way to do this. And it's still Grand Canyon, you know, in those motorboats, and everyone has a great time, but I thought the dories might be a little more my style. Yeah, absolutely. And um, those were some great days at, in Hurricane, you know, the dory enclave there. And uh, I was lucky enough to do some trips out yeah. there, too. It was a close My family. shoulder season. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, McCallum was the smallest company. Mm -hmm. And to to this day, you're running Dory trips. Running Dory trips. Different company. Uh, right, right. Well, Martin sold, you know, to Oars. That happened to be about the time in my life when I sort of needed to uh, not be down in Grand Canyon full time. So it sort of dovetailed neatly on our... Uh, With the children. And, yeah, the children thing. <laughs> <laughs> couple of them. Yeah, that seems to be a resounding... Uh, right. And, uh, people come and people go, but they always come back unless they die out there somewhere. Right, right. So pretty much the moment that they could feed themselves, um, I was coming back to Grand Canyon whenever I could. And you're still here? And I'm still here. Damn, dude, you're not still here. One under my belt this year. I'm only going to do one more. but. Well, you've always got another trip. And so... This is just a quick opinion thing. Um, we've seen a lot of changes down there. And uh, I think it's right on the edge of maxing out the use criteria. You know, how many people do you see and what sort of a experience is it down there to to run trips? And, and I think it's getting right at that edge to where it's it's kind of almost, I think if you get too many people, it's actually mismanagement. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we're right on that fray. This year's been an interesting thing with the replacing trips and adding trips that the Park Service has done with the COVID. People didn't get to do trips, and then they're being compensated now, so the Park Service put a lot more people in there on the private sector. Mm. Yeah. And I really noticed that. I did, too, but I wasn't aware that they were actually and doing I, that. I, everybody needs to be down there. There's nothing like a private trip, but uh, it, it seems to have added quite a bit uh, this year. I don't know how that'll even, it's just pretty, even out. It's just crowded. You know, we passed yeah. one, seven private trips we passed from just below Havasu to, uh, to Lava Falls. Hey, you private guys, and I've got a loyal bunch of privateers that listen to this podcast, and we love you. But the three-boat trips shouldn't camp at those huge camps that I've been getting bumped out of. Just, <laughs> yeah. Just mentioning that. Right. But uh, I'll always give you eyes. 
Always if keep you've got guys. it to give, yeah. <laughs> Even those nine-person, seven-boat trips, it's not a yeah. It's un- ice, unusual. Ice is gold. I want to talk about a little adventuring that uh, you have done, and actually, I want to talk about an adventure that you and I did together. But I want to talk, and this is a true adventure, you guys. The Spur Little Colorado runs uh, out of the White Mountains in eastern Arizona, northeastern Arizona, and it's a phenomenal drainage that dumps into the Colorado about, oh, 62 miles from Lee's Ferry. If you go down the river, there's the confluence of the Little Colorado. Sacred to the Hopi on the Navajo Indian Reservation and stuff. An amazing place. But, you know, not to brag uh, about Tim's stuff. Uh, He and Brad Demick did the first descent of the Little Colorado from Cameron to the river. And that really takes courage. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever done exploratories or been the first one down a river. It's it's a pretty exciting and brave thing. Tell us about your expedition, and I want you to lead into it. What uh, the timing and uh, go go from start to finish about this big adventure. <laughs> All right. Well, um, th- it was Brad's idea. Of course, he comes up with these things that are sort of uh, quantifiable. Uh, Feathers in his cap, <laughs> sort so of speaking. In this case, it was to run every tributary that's possible of the Colorado River. And so we thought, well, we'd run, oh, a few other things. We ran the Rio de Flag. Uh, underneath. <laughs> that's a trip. It, it goes under City Market. We had to have headlamps and, and uh, what is that, San Francisco Street. Uh, and then it disappears into a sink out there. You're running through through South Flag, uh, low spots in the road. Uh, but it seemed like uh, Little Colorado would be a good place to, to uh, start early in, uh, in the assembly of all of these uh, first ascents that we were hoping to, to do. And so it was raining like crazy. It was before the season, it was in March. And problem with the little Colorado as far as taking the boat trip through there is there's not water in it probably most of the time so when you get a consistent rainfall like that you know there's going to be runnable water for a while then you need to be looking for that window and a guy named Jim Norton works for or worked for Canyoneers had tried it once in inflatables and they only had food for three days it took them 10 and they ended up carrying their boats out because they ran out of patch material, almost starved to death. But they said uh, it could be done. They didn't see any waterfalls that weren't really runnable. But... So we thought we could we could manage to do that by uh, to get around those obstacles just by taking kayaks, you know. And we, we uh, were lucky enough to start kayaking back when you didn't have to be insane to uh, sort of be a hot dog. I'm glad that I don't have to meet that bar. And uh, you have today's bar today's, of doing oh, tricks off the waterfalls, right? The 150 foot waterfalls <laughs> and the spins and these are the spirited young, spirited bunch of young bucks. I'll be, yeah, boy, amazing stuff they're doing now. But we weren't. We weren't. You know <laughs> what, what we were was early adopters of this sort of newish sport, and they'd come out with a plastic boat, and instead of the fiberglass ones that were available before and uh, the first one was called a hollow form and they were designed like a regular old Olympic uh, kayak which is four meters long and great big loggy thing. Um, the shape of a, of a javelin I think I right. heard you say. Yeah not any kind of creek boat or anything I mean these are big old boats. Uh, advantage was you could stick a lot of stuff in them so we did a lot of uh, overnight trips, self-support kayak trips, because you could jump and dump 40 pounds worth of stuff in the back and the front and a few Bear. beers. And and <laughs> they were heavy. They were, they were really awkward. Brad said, once you got the stuff in there, Brad said it was like paddling a dish rag. But you could self-support for multi-day trips, and they wouldn't break when you drug them over or into and around rocks um, like the old ones did. So... 
the new plastic boats made a lot more stuff possible, and we had a couple of them. We'd driven out to California to get them right out of the mold where they were making them and uh, abused those things. We were sitting in Flagstaff at this apartment building we'd bought in March and going, gosh, what are we going to do here? Are we going to actually try it? Are we going to do more research? Because we had, you know, stream gauges and uh, uh, maps and topographic maps and that we were pouring over every day. And uh, one of Jim Norton's problems had been the fact that the river just dried up underneath them so we thought this wet spell isn't gonna last forever so we just just got uh, russell sullivan to haul us up there and dump us in at the the old low bridge at the where it crosses the colorado <coughs> little colorado up there and just cameron paddling yeah, cameron paddling down from cameron well you know one quick one for the uh listeners when you had those march warm rains and if it was a winter of good snowpack uh it really made a lot of water it did you had these big spring flows uh on a good winter and then you get these warm spells of rain and that's what really pulls pulls the water down and and gives you those flows but go ahead makes it last yeah go ahead just mentioning we were afraid of it being just a flash and so we thought that that would be the best possible time to do it was in March when there's still some snow coming off and then the rain was falling on the snowpack. So it was like, well, I think we had about 2,000 is what we figured, guessing. And we had a scroll map that Brad had put together. He cut it up out of uh, quads and used clear shelf paper over the thing so it was waterproof. And then we had that rolled up. So we sort of knew the general lay of the land. And you knew where you're crossing a lot of contours, so you knew it was going to get steep. And that's about all we knew. Yeah, yeah, we didn't have all the resources that everybody's got now. No, the Google Earth, you know, that wasn't there. Would have been that would have been handy. Pretty good to have. Though you know, a lot of a lot of the excitement of it and what makes it a real adventure is just not knowing. You know, absolutely. It's it's you don't have any idea what's around the corner, and it so makes it a big adventure. It actually does. And without <laughs> that aspect, uh, you know, I'm not sure you've gotten a real adventure. You know, yeah. It, in some cases, it is kind of sad that well, some of these kids can't have the that because really, of all the resources. I know. feel like yeah, you know, we were so lucky to be here when there were still really really wild places. There were things to do that no one had had ever done and you could you could still be outrageous and now you know you gotta walk on your hands up everest or you know go off a giant waterfall or and yeah, then make a video to do the it, undone you know, right you know so yeah we we're lucky to have been around R- rip the heart out of the good days <laughs> uh, but go go ahead so you're uh, the you get dumped off. It must have been such a neat feeling going into those. Uh, well, uh, you know, after you leave the road and all of a sudden you're in this gorge. And it starts with a bang. It yeah. starts with a bang. It's pull and drop, but mostly drop. And Right. And uh, it's, it's just so narrow. And it's like, well, we were really in this hallway that, you know. Oh, it's, no, it's, it's special down there. I, I mean, I've been lucky enough to do three trips down there. Mm-hmm. Thanks to your uh, historic... You led the way, oh, it was... and, and uh, it's just an amazing, dreamy place. It's like a miniaturized Grand Canyon. It is. It's distilled, distilled Grand Canyon. Yeah. It's, it's. But that must have been a great feeling with Brad. You guys are going. Look at where we are. We're oh, scared to death. Kidding me? <laughs> After the first big rapid, I, I remember. Uh, it's like you lose sight of the other guy, you know, almost instantly. And you're just out there pounding around boulders and you can't see downstream. And you just, all you can just see muddy, muddy water going downstream and rocks. Well, I was going to say, too, that's something that is a real feature down yeah. there is the waters 
really muddy. It's and, not just yeah, muddy. It's when like you, <laughs> when you wear glasses, it's it's like lenses ground out of adobe, and it hits you harder. Didn't it? You does. Know, it's, it's got like, noticeably more weight. It's like if yeah. somebody filled up a shovel with the wa- with water and threw it in your face, compared to somebody that through uh like wet cement in your face <laughs> with a shovel right it is about know, midway between the two it's a, kind of a physics thing it does <laughs> just trying to settle water you know to, to boil it for coffee you know? like a third of the container is mud when you yeah you know, when no you super we're talking muddy yeah. river yeah. And, uh, but go ahead yeah, and that's how it uh, you know, started. And little did you know that first day that it was going to get a lot more spectacular and, and terrifying, and windier and colder. Uh, yeah, at the same time, water had was dropping on our first night um, significantly, and we kind of we thought, oh, that's you know, we better get going. But it started to, I think, between the uh, the conditions of the just cold and wind and rain it's raining constantly that it's it tends to take a lot of the fight out of you and when the the river wasn't really cooperating by you know getting any easier and then we started to get into the travertine falls that were actually waterfalls not big waterfalls nothing like they ride uh, you know that people run today but you know they got keepers behind them. Oh yeah, some gnarly, gnarly, lots of places you don't want to go. You don't want to go, and <clears throat> we stopped and looked at one of them for a long time. Called it. That's the great thing about being the first is you get to name stuff. So we called it Am- Atomizer Falls, and it's probably the biggest falls that we ran. And it was like, I don't know, maybe six or eight feet like that. But it had this keeper hole at the bottom, and there was no place to go but through it, and. Brad, being who he is, decided that um, he was going to try it. And so I, you know, got this Nikon camera that I'm going to take pictures of as he goes goes over this thing. It's like low light conditions and, and uh, I'm shaking like a leaf. And, and anyway, Brad gets stuck in the hole at the bottom and tries to roll up two, three, four times. And finally, it's like he just comes out of his boat, but he doesn't come up. Until he's not in it anymore, but he he finally comes up. He's like thirty yards downstream, and he goes, "Don't try it!" <laughs> like you hadn't come yeah. up with that answer. <laughs> like I was going that. to. <laughs> Don't do it. Uh, and then we drag so uh, we dragged his boat up in the rocks and. Went back up and got my boat. And when we got back down to where his boat was, it had floated away. Oh. <laughs> didn't quite get it far enough out of the water. So I jumped in my boat and paddled downstream and, and uh, pushed it. it to shore. But, yeah, I mean, that could have been could have been a bad deal. That could have been catastrophic it to your expedition, Do- it, Dr. Cooper. <laughs> but, it, yeah, then it didn't let up. How far that. downstream was it? Uh, we were, like, uh, probably two-thirds of the way when that when the waterfalls the travertine falls oh yeah no that's right but i mean how far did the boat get oh not not very far it was yeah there were it was a pool drop situation by then but i bet old brad was pretty anxious on his new hike (laughs) (laughs) let's see where did that salt trail start again (laughs) we had the most miserable of nights that night you know we just it's it's one of those things you just go, how much longer can this go on? Well, it went on till it got dark. And we had between us one plastic tube tent, which is what canyoneers used to put in their rental camping. Packages. Well, it's a really cheap solution to uh, a, a tent. Mm, yeah. It's you just a tube of plastic. A tube of plastic. You get a string with it and you run the string through the plastic first that's key you put it through the tube first and then you tie it up to something and then you crawl inside the tube so there were two of us in there that night rained all night long and little rock falls were coming off the wall <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> hitting all around us splashing into the river it's like oh my god <clears throat> hazards everywhere um didn't get a lot of sleep that night but did the water come back up a little bit? It never changed. Never After that first night, it stayed the same the whole rest of the time. It, it dropped about four inches on the, the first night when we drank most of the liquor that we brought with us. And uh, 
I don't think we had time to drink anything on the second night, but once we got to the confluence and realized we were probably going to live, then we finished it off there. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people might think, oh, the, yeah, they've made the confluence of the Colorado, mm. but where are you? After Colorado, and that's a deal all its own. And so why don't you carry on the rest of the big adventure? Well, you know, we'd been breaking, I'm sure, spiritual laws right and left till then, you know, and stopped at the Sipapu where the Hopis think they came out of the ground and looked down in there and, and, you know. (laughs) You are so eloquent. Right. But go ahead. But we were actually about to... Uh, make legis- break legislative law by by paddling out into the national park without a permit, which we knew was going to be a problem. You know, we didn't have a novels weren't really thinking about their permit system at the time. But um, the national the park national on the park other hand had, was established in hmm, 1912, or, or no, maybe it was later than that. But, but um, so by by paddling on to the beyond the confluence, we knew we were courting trouble. But we were really in uh, pretty desperate straits by then. You know, we, we were out of we were out of food, and we were really cold. Everything we owned was wet, and we knew that the bottom of the Kaibab Trail was, you know, maybe a couple hours downstream. So Brad is a um, before uh, he got got out of college. He had been training as a downriver kayaker and he's got the arms for it i think he was actually um, nationally ranked at one point down river kayak and he once we got going he was just gone off in the distance and turn around every once in a while and make sure i was behind him but uh we just paddled like our lives depended on it and didn't see anybody of course until we got to the top of hans rapid and it's like, mm, okay, early for a private trip. Um, but as we got closer and closer, you could see the big red letters on the side of the boat. It's a park ranger. <laughs> of course. Oh, Are you out loud. kidding me? Imagine the luck. <laughs> Imagine. And so we didn't even talk about it. We didn't talk about it at all. Brad, I, uh, Brad never even slowed down. He just paddled into the rapid. And that, I heard one of the guys who was still at the boat they were scouting and one of the guys at the the boat said uh you better pull over this is a big one and i'm like "Mm, yeah and and by that time brad was already in the rapid you know on the far right side they're scouting left and we just bounced into it it's just okay we've been seen but you know the weather was bad enough we figured that there's no way they could catch us and as it turns out, the weather was bad enough that the helicopter that they called to go and blow us off the river and arrest us uh, <laughs> also couldn't get off the ground. So uh, by the time we got down the Phantom Ranch, it, it, well, we stopped it well above it. And it was snowing on the rim, and uh, we were just, our teeth were chattering, and, and we thought, let's just get the hell off the river pull in this little beach here, we'll dig a hole in the sand, bury our boats, ha, you know, try burying a four-meter kayak in the beach sometime. <laughs> but, you know, we're hopeful. A great plan. A great plan. A great or plan. D- drag it up, you know, some unnamed side canyon someplace and leave it till you can come back and get it on a canyoneer's boat. And uh, anyway, we were in the process of doing that, and a ranger had had come out on the bridge and was waiting for us and could hear us talking we were that close and so he hiked up the hiked up the bank and said uh sorry guys you're busted and we were <laughs> so hello end of story yeah it's almost a relief it's just like well but it's warm no, 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 no. a big adventure doesn't end there tell us about hiking out and the constable and the rest of the story. Oh, too. right. I know it's got to be a little embarrassing for you. <sighs> but this is Big Adventures. <laughs> we always like to close it out here at Big Adventures. Well, we um, 
we were treated like royalty at Phantom Ranch, and people, like, the word had gotten out that these two rascals had, had made their way down to Little Colorado, and that was somehow notable. So even the bunkhouse boys, the, the cowboys, treated us very well, got us drunk, uh, <laughs> gave us a place to sleep. Problem being that first thing in the morning, we had a, a hangover at the <laughs> and, a, and a date at the magistrate's office for 10 o'clock in the morning. And we didn't have, I didn't have any shoes. I can't remember what Brad had, but I had some wetsuit booties that I, I'd, uh, I was wearing over, uh, under Converse tennis shoes, like size 14s that I'd cut the, the, uh, tongue out of so I could get them over these wetsuit boots anyway that's what i hiked out of the grand canyon with at first and first thing in the morning up in the slush got into snow, the snow that's right it's bottom snowing. Of coconino <laughs> it <was> actually <laughs> snowing there's like three inches of snow on the trail and then across town to the magistrate's office to make it by 10 in the morning try to look sheepish try to look guilty Pathetic. try to look sorry but you know, it's you just cannot help but think that you know you're paddling through this canyon that's been so messed up by the federal government legally, and here we are, you know, being arraigned for some. So your righteous hippie uh, yeah. stuff came in, right? It, but huh? you don't you don't want to you know you became you became mm. obstinate and a problem for the magistrate. <laughs> no, that would be silly. You know they have all the powers. So yeah, we just tried to look meek and and uh, guilty, chagrined, oh. this terrible thing that we'd done, <laughs> paddle down the river without a permit. So I got a slap in the wrist. They told me to evacuate the boats by helicopter, pay for that. And I think it was a hundred bucks a piece, the fine. So it's not really, you know, hard time. But um, as we were about to leave, <laughs> he goes, just a second. One of the one of the rangers, and maybe I should preface this. The guy that was the chief ranger at the time, Marv Jensen, is just a great character great man and uh sense of humor uh sense of proportion and he knew what we were up to just kind of a college prank kind of almost thing and he's but he's got a lot of rangers under him that have come up in the new regime of law enforcement is the way that you rise through the ranks and it's just it's a different feel and i really miss the old one you know it, it, uh, yeah, so no, anyway it's a different deal though. i was standing on the cusp between marv jensen and this other guy who's i should not name and uh, but he's a law enforcement type he's gone to the school and they teach you that everyone's out to get you and uh and everyone's a violator. And so he said, you know, you have the same birthday as this guy who's wanted for parole violations in Florida. And I go, what? He goes, yeah, same birthday, same build, same eye color, same hair. Oh, yeah. no. And I, he goes, but he's got tattoos all the way up his arms. And I go, you so you roll up my sleeves? He goes, yeah. So I roll up. Luckily, I don't have any tattoos. I've gone straight to jail, but <laughs> it was part of the experience. It's really stuck with me. It's yeah, like whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, yeah. Steve, Steve Martin, who later became the superintendent of the park, was standing right there, and he worked for Canyoneers too. We'd actually met, you know, on, at Canyoneers. Uh, a couple of times, and he's looking a little sheepish. It's like, hey, you know, I can't help it. <laughs> I, can, I can't help you. Wink, wink. Anyway, that was the end of that story. Except that the helicopter pilot, when I got there, he was just setting the package down, two hollow form kayaks with, in a net. And uh, he was still kind of white in the face from his experience of flying this, these boats out of the canyon. And he said, never, never again. He said, I almost dropped these things on the, on the Tonto. I said, well, how come? He says, because there's nothing to them. They're just too light. And the 
the uh, airflow that's described by a rotor of a helicopter, it's not a downdraft like a shaft of air that's going straight down. It's like a donut. It's a torus. And so that air, if what's ever in the, goes to the bottom of that torus, it actually goes out to the side and up. And a light enough sling load can end up coming into your rotor from the top. Oh, and that had almost happened to him out there. And uh, anyway, it didn't. That would have made you yeah. from like cult hero to chump. Demon. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that boat. <laughs> no, you know, those boats were something else, and they did, weren't in a very good shape, but we all really benefited from those plastic roto-molded boats. Right. I think it was a garbage can maker that, that built was the their, first one that, that had this rotisserie mold. Most successful product was yeah. uh, dump, little dumpsters like everyone's got. <laughs> but that, that was a big adventure. Thank you for that. That was great detail. Thanks. I wonder if Brad remembers it exactly the same way. Hmm, probably not. <laughs> I haven't ever gone through it with Brad, but he'll be back on the show. And so, Tim, another adventure that we had together was when we went up and ran that little river up in Canada, the clean clean Oh, yeah. Remember that? And we had great ambition. That was an ambitious That was really crazy had. stuff. It was. But what it was is we went up there... Our plan was to run this river. We were the first ones to do it. And then uh, it was in the Waddington Range, a river called the Kleena Kleena. And, uh, oh, if you looked at Vancouver Island, the north end of Vancouver Island, across across the passage there to the mainland, there's an inlet called the Night Inlet. Yep. And uh, the Kleena Clean kind of splits the Waddington Range. Uh, which is a very interesting thing. I think it was the last 14,000-foot peak discovered on the North American continent. I think it was Vancouver or somebody that discovered it from a ship. Right, yeah. But the weather was always inclement, and nobody ever saw it. He <laughs> happened to be there on a good day. But anyway, our goal was to kayak into the Mount Waddington and, and summit Waddington. And it was uh, I think it was funded by... Outward bound partially, as a develop, yeah. par- mm-hmm. very partially, right? But as a developmental expedition to see if it was a feasible program, right? Like expedition a, run a course there, and uh, it was crazy. We got up there and uh, made our way to the clean and clean, and it was an amazing river. Small, it was. It was where, where the road went across. It was about the size of Tapete's Creek. Or, yeah. Or even smaller. Yeah. Um, and we were with John Griffith and Jeannie Janetsky. So it was a team of four. and uh, But it was really big adventure for us and uh, continued to be so. Yeah. Another one of those, you don't know what's around the corner. Probably. Yeah. Total, uh, like, rolling upside down and then rolling up to get under lo- that one log. Yeah. And then you roll up and you're in a rapid. And- it's really some zany, irresponsible boating. <laughs> we got snowed off of Mount Waddington. We went, first of all, remember we sent John on an air recon? Went to drop off some, the mountaineering supplies, because we had all this ropes and pitons and ice axes. So float planed so. it into this lake. Yeah, Shillam Lake. Yep. And and drop that off there, and it was going to be recon the route from the airplane, land on the lake, drop off the mountaineering equipment, and then fly back, and um, we'd start down the river in our kayaks and stop at Schilling, pick up our mountaineering gear, climb the mountain, come back, get back in our boats, and paddle out to the ocean. That yeah, was, that was our game plan. That be the complete plan. <laughs> <laughs> No, not so. But uh, anyway, we got snowed off the mountain. But before that, and it was very embarrassing for John, uh, he took us up the wrong drainage. 
Right. We were supposed to go up Remote Creek. Remote Creek. And and off of Shillin Lake, there's a bunch of rivers and creeklets that come in to, to feed Shillin Lake. And we were supposed to hike up one of them, Remote Creek, which goes up to Remote Glacier, from which is the bottom of the Waddington Route. You go up the, the side of the, the lateral moraine, you climb that to get up to the... the Bergstrom, <laughs> <laughs> but from the, you know he'd been the only one that had seen it from the air was John, and and so we get there, we pick up our stuff. These packs are like they're over a hundred pounds. Yeah, they were. They were ridiculous. really heavy packs. We packs. had uh, ropes and all this climbing gear and shit and all this food. We didn't know how long it was going to take, and you had to put these things on and then. Well, you'd have to lay it on the ground, lay on top of it, put the shoulder straps around you, and then roll over so it was on top of you, <laughs> and then stand up or get someone to help well, you Well, it seemed up. like I was helping you quite a bit, get up. But that's, and you're walking around up there in the northwest where the forest duff is like three feet thick, and at any moment you can just take a step and fall through to your crotch through the deadfall. Anyway, we've got these packs. We're going up the creek that John thinks is Remote Creek. <laughs> and it just gets steeper and more congested with deadfall. And it's like we're crossing the creek multiple times on these slippery little logs. logs with it. And we end up, we, we went up there for what? A f- two full days. Yeah. We hiked up this creek. Yep. And we get to the top. Well, we get up there and it's just like it's getting harder and harder. And it looks like we're just going to get almost uh, rimmed out somehow. And John sits down with the map and he goes, I don't think we're in the right creek. <laughs> and we wanted to kill him. And we weren't. I think I had to hold you back. I'd never seen such anger in a man. But, but um, yeah, when we went back down, you know, and I think it only took us one day to get down. Yeah, we were ready to get down. We wanted out of there, but. Um, made our way back down to the lake and then walked another mile or two, uh, would have been west from there. And here comes Remote Creek in, which is just like this river. Highway. It's a river, (laughs) and it's got these cobble bars on both sides that are 50 (laughs) feet wide. Unmistakable. Giant river. And and we'd been hiking up this forested creek for two days just going, (laughs) Wow. <laughs> anyway, he was good. he was slow to coming to terms with that. He was first <laughs> outward bound instructor, mountain manager, mountain man. Girl. Well, we were all mountain men by the time. Oh, yeah. Remember, we came on the two cute little bears, the babies. Yeah. Well, you never want to see two little baby bears on their own. No. Somebody else is around, <laughs> and I don't remember ever being so scared in the outdoors. Well, we saw that one. We saw one grizz print. We never saw a grizz, but we saw a grizz print on in the mud that you could have bathed in. It was it, just it, like, it was the size oh, of a large frisbee. Skin crawl. How big those things are, and the, they're you know they're. Claws are like sharpened beer bottles, five of them on each foot. But remember that we paddled out, it got broad in that lake, Silver Dollar Lake, I think it was called, or something like that, and broadened out into this lake, and there's a sand island in the middle of the lake, and we go going by this island, there's a tent on the island, and we go, whoa, what's all this about? So we pull in, get out of the island, or get out on this island, and there's this big tent, like a room-sized tent, and it's got a bar in the It's back, a bar! And it's got bullfight posters hung on the walls all the way around it, and two or three tables. Signed by uh, one of them was Manolette. signed. <laughs> Remember that? that was... One of them was signed by, who was it signed by? A really famous writer. Who was... Hemingway. Oh, no, it was by Hemingway. It was... Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh. But uh, and then the guy sees us out there, waves us over to his house. Right. But yeah. go ahead. He's I'd like to hear your uh, remembrance of that. Yeah, so it's just, this guy's running a lodge there. Those are for his guests, and his his wife is from Spain, and he's built this thing to make her feel more at home out here in the British Columbian outback. And they've got a little like hunter's cabin sort of thing going out 
outdoor, you know, lodgy business, but they're there all winter long. And he comes out in his little motorboat just to say hi, because doesn't get a lot of visitors. And and then he says, I'm just going to go catch dinner. So as he goes, that guy's obviously a really seasoned fisherman. He's just like, toot, 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 drop his line in, knows right where they are, get some fish. Comes over and goes, how'd you like to stay for dinner? And then, you know, I'll put you up at the lodge. You don't have any guests right now. So they, they we paddled over there. We had moose meat. Remember that? He had moose bottled... meat and Dolly Varden or whatever yeah, the fish they, was. And they then... bottled their own moose meat. And what, what struck me is a uh, beautiful French girl, yeah. wife. Uh, Spanish. But, Spanish it was, you know, yeah. European, that's exotic enough for me. They talk funny. <laughs> But um, she comes out with dry clothes for all of us. Yeah. Remember the... Right, yeah. Here, put White this frocks. And you, you look <laughs> chill. <laughs> that was wonderful. I wanted to just stay just there. I was done lady. with the expedition yeah. with John and Jeannie and you. I was, <laughs> tried to talk him into it, but they... Right. We were, we were eating a lot of Dolly. It seemed like we were fishing. Weren't we fishing? Yeah, we went Dolly fishing. Barton. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I think that was part of Dolly our food Barton, plan, yeah. actually. Yeah. Just drink butter like, and As wine. plans go <laughs> on big adventures. Right. But, uh, and then we kind of scouted out where the river runs out of the little lake. Remember? And did John the little had, forward scout. Yeah. And, and John had looked at it um, from the air. And the pilot said... Basically, there's no way that, that anyone could go down in there. The gorge where it cuts through the deepest part of the range to, going through the, to the ocean was really steep. And the, uh, the guy that was flying the plane had been over it a number of times. He just went, there's no way anybody could go through there on a boat. More like, uh, you know nothing. You know nothing. We are adventurers. <laughs> it was he was right. It was death. It was a, a death sport, as she put it, or he put it. Yeah, remember that? We were coming down. We went up there. We were within 1,000 feet of the top, but it was a long walk. It was like miles. and But we'd already had most of the vertical under our belt. And we, were, we had crossed this crevasse field to get there. We yep. put up our tents. And they were all over. And you had to, like, crisscross back and forth across this ice field to find your way through and then we camped above the ice field sort of at close to the ridge that we were going to take to the summit in the morning and there was two feet of fresh snow on the ground yeah we crushed the tent we we're in yeah, there remember it's we just were like, in there and it was blowing like on? a bad rat and dark it just it buried us in the snow and it got real dark in there and we we're just like pushing the the tent out and we're wet you know because the tent's wet and but we get up in the morning and there's two feet of fresh snow i mean it's hard to even walk around so and then we're even scared about the avalanche so it's like oh we got to go through the crevasse field now with two feet of fresh (laughs) snow on top of it (laughs) so we did we wrote i remember i fell in one yeah remember that yeah and uh that was terrifying. It was. I mean, I was in. I didn't go all the way. And you know, for the guests, he didn't cry like a little baby, <laughs> but he was fairly emotional about getting out of that crevasse, as I recall. Right, right. Soon, my dim memory. <laughs> but uh, and then we retreated. Yeah. And then, but I do remember the float plane guy seemed to have a relationship with the lodge right, keeper there the guy keeper. remember they stepped off in another room right. and it's and like they had all kinds of that stuff smuggling going on. or something <laughs> it seemed suspicious remember we saw that wolverine we, were we saw there? a wolverine that was in the first drainage the the turn back canyon or whatever right. we decided to call it yeah that was really cool Wolverines. Man. Yeah, have you listened to my chat, uh, the Wolverine expert? Uh, No, you've got to listen to that one. It's a podcast. Oh, cool. Really a fascinating animal. Yeah, man. Just get put. But just seeing them way up in the Alpine, nobody knows why they go there. Yeah, he was headed up the. uh, He was headed up to the top. Yeah. He got to the top and we didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Those were the good days, though. And, you know, just to finish that adventure, so 
Oh, several things. You know, there 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 were different takes on our success from some of the team members. Right. We're disappointed and a little mad that we failed our goal, Jeannie. And, uh, well, we parted ways all in good spirits. We did. We had a good time. Well, we were, went over to Vancouver Island, and then... We saw King Tut there, the King Tut show. King Tut show. And then uh, we, you and I head down to come back to Arizona and stuff. And while we're go- driving through Nevada, it's pretty late. So we decide, well, let's drive three, four miles off the highway here on this dirt road that we'd never been on and out in the desert. And so we camp out there. We get up in the morning. I fire up the Volkswagen bus. And Tim's standing behind the bus, and I hear him say, Oh, boy. Oh, oh, boy. And what had happened is the water cooler, I mean, the the oil oil cooler, cooler. which is right in the middle of the motor. Right, under the cowling of the fan. Had exploded because the electromagnetic cutoff jet had frozen or whatever it was. It was a Volkswagen. Yeah, the overpressure. And just drained all the oil out it into the desert. It. It physically just pumped it right out, yeah. Couldn't get, get it out of there quick enough. <laughs> <laughs> and so we walked to the highway, well, three miles. And that's, that's, you know, I, I hate to exaggerate. I think that's probably a conservative estimate. Mm-hmm. What, when you're in the desert, it does seem longer. Right, it's hard to judge distance. And we hitchhiked a hurricane or, no. Cedar City. Cedar City. It's like Sunday. Yeah, it's Sunday. It somehow got the parts and hitchhiked we back did. and yeah. went, hiked back into the car, changed the motor. <laughs> I can't believe anyone would pick up two guys that looked, looked like, like us, us out there in the basin and range, just like a couple of <laughs> no <Gomers>. car visible. <laughs> yeah, so it was a true adventure all the way. It never let up. <laughs> so, Tim, you've done a fair amount of. Uh, carpentry and stuff you build houses you've had some cool projects huh yeah i have and and uh you lived in tory mm-hmm. still have a house yeah, there. still have a house there and you're mm-hmm. in cortez now yeah dolores with your lovely wife yeah, quibbling Lori. Mm-hmm. and uh you've got a good life you're looking good i am lucky you know well the way you plan expeditions <laughs> i'd say you're real lucky luck counts <laughs> good luck. thing yeah, talent is not as important as mm, luck. Skill, no, skill takes a backseat. Give us luck, just plain luck. I, I'd have to agree with you on that count for both of us, really. What are your plans down the line here? You know, you're getting old, Tim. I, well, you're not gets looking old. Younger, but you're not looking that old, but uh, you're getting old. I'm gonna keep this up until somebody or something makes me stop. Are you going to try and save the world in one way or another? Are you going to contribute anything before you're done? Or is it mostly just uh, taking care of old Timmy? <laughs> Looking out for number one. <laughs> what are your takes on the world? Are we in trouble? I think what? we're in big trouble. Yeah. I mean, how can you not deny it? It's just, uh, you know, I drove through the burned area on the way into Flag, and there's been two big fires there this year already. But Like day know, before yesterday. Half the forest has already beaten the fire to the punch by dying of its own accord somehow, or fungus or beetle or something like that. And the winds that we've had this spring are totally unprecedented. I mean, people thought about global climate change in terms of just warming. Well, it's not just, it's the, you know, the thunderstorms it takes out a river trip and kills people and it's the wind that never lets up all night long and it's it's changing it's happening and uh, you know i'm lucky to have lived most of my life before the shit hit the fan <laughs> but it's well, in process right now you know quite often when i ask that question to a uh, guess they try and leave it on a fairly optimistic note <laughs> but i i um uh, I respect your take on it. It is pretty concerning, uh, the things that we're seeing the world go through and the diminishing wilderness footprint. Right. I the, just yeah. yeah, it's tough, and it would. I I would hope there's some hope. 
uh, if people can get it together enough to at well, least slow, stop the bleeding here and there, right? Right, yeah. And, you know, but the great thing about despair is it's always there for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, the, the great thing about despair, if you have a sense of humor, is eh, you can just laugh it right. off. Yeah, and, you know, but, <laughs> they'll come up with stuff that I haven't thought of yet. Well, I bet it goes doom and gloomy uh, pretty quick. Yeah, pretty quick. <laughs> so, you guys, thank you for sitting in with us. We're kind of run out of time. Believe me, we're going to bring old doom and gloom here, Tim <laughs> Cooper, back. <laughs> and I want you to think about having some more optimistic outlook on things. I, I'm working on it. Uh, we're, constantly. We're, we're going to give you another chance on that question. <laughs> but I I uh, respect your uh, take on that. Mm. Um Thanks for being here, you guys. Uh, there's nothing like uh, doing these shows with these incredible people that I've, I've got the fortune to sit down with. And Tim, absolutely appreciate you taking your time. Thanks, Brian. And listen, you guys out there, stay right side up. And if they come up with a third and fourth and fifth booster for this, it keeps rearing its ugly head, doesn't it? So go ahead and get your shots. Stay right side up. This is Big Adventures with Brian Durker and Tim Cooper. We love you, man. Thanks for sitting in. Big Adventures is produced by Brian Durker, Margaret Knight, and me, Gavin Bugner. Bill Gleckler and his mandolin provide our music. If you like our show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.